on this episode of TR Talk. But I think the big thing about MJ is that what people should know is that this dude, look, he had uh, worldwide attention. Uh, we, we had tons of media every day. Uh, he had endorsements. Um, and that dude was never late for practice, not one time. He was always on time, always worked his ass off at practice. Worked on his game, worked on his shots, and, you know, basketball was the number one priority, so. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of TR Talk, where we interview leaders in their field to learn how millennials can fast-track their personal development. This week's guest on the Week of Champions is Bill, Billy C. Cartwright, former five-time NBA champion, former NBA All-Star, and player on the Chicago Bulls as well as the New York Knicks. Thank you all for listening. Now, before we get into the interview, I want to give a quick shout-out to our TR Talk Fan of the Week. This one goes to Luke Lippincott, one of my brothers from another mother, childhood friend, love the guy, and he also hosts a podcast as well called Helmets and Headbands. Give it a check out on YouTube. Now, let's get into this interview with Bill Cartwright. Enjoy the show, folks. We're here with Bill Cartwright, NBA legend, former player and coach. Bill, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. I'm very pleased to be here. Bill, I got to say, when I was growing up, I knew your name for a long time. And my dad always said the Bulls had two waves. They go, the first was when we got Bill Cartwright to take the center court and to defeat those nasty Pistons. And then the second was when we got Rodman, which is a whole different story. But um, <laughs> I can't tell you, my dad is on pins and needles waiting to get this get this in his, uh, in his earbud. So, you know... Where do we even begin with this thing? You've had such an amazing career as both, like I said, a player coach. You're a high school legend. You went number three in the draft. I'd love to just understand a little bit, you know, before you, everyone knew who Bill Cartwright was back in high school, like where did all this drive come from? Is it true you shot, you know, a thousand shots a day, you know, in the summer? Can you take us back there? Well, we could talk about a lot. I mean, I was, you know, normal kid. I grew up in Elk Grove, California. I know the south of Sacramento. You don't know where that is, but it's just really country in there. We, my dad was a farm laborer, so uh, so I had great parents. Uh, my dad was from Texas. My mom's from uh, Pittsburgh. Um, so living out there on the ranch with myself and six sisters, three older, three younger. Uh, we learned how to work, so that was the main thing. And what you learn from that ranch, uh, you learn one important aspect, or two. One, it's hard. Two, you don't want to be out there. <laughs> so everything else after th- after that is just hard work. So, and uh, you know, I always loved sports: baseball, basketball, football. Baseball was one. Uh, when I was a kid, I was a pitcher. Uh, I thought I could play until I got older, and I saw some guys who could really play. This guy, Dennis Forenza, hit like a 400-foot home run when I was <laughs> in like high school, and I was like, wow, I better play basketball. Yeah. So. Um, what was it like with uh, six sisters? Were you guys competitive with each other? Did they play sports too? Uh, they did, but mine was more of a thing of – you know, I was just really happy to be out of the house yeah. and away from them. Luckily, we did have one set of neighbors, and 
it was interesting that I was always able to kind of play with older kids. Yeah. Uh, because I was tall, and but I, I really wanted to play, and I really liked it. So and it was better than working. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it was better than picking tomatoes or mm-hmm. hoeing sugar beet fields. So um, if I can maintain my time doing that, my dad was kind of okay with that. So um, like I said, I played a lot of sports growing up. Um, when did you go into basketball? Like, and you knew this was a real, a real, you had a real knack for it and that you were really going to devote your time to it. High school? Or? It was high school. You know, we... You know, I was lucky in a lot of instances is that I had, and, and this is a really good lesson because there was a guy actually a year older than me. And this tells you a little bit about this guy and uh, mm-hmm. my high school coach because this guy, Terry Salfer, when he was a freshman, probably played six minutes for the year. And they had a really good team. Yeah. Uh, I think they were like 30 and four. Um, so my high school coach saw him down there, and Terry at that point in time was probably about six, seven. Wow. So this is what happened. Everybody from that freshman team went to the JV team, except for Terry, which my coach, Dan Risley, brought up to varsity and worked with that dude all summer. And that dude, by the time the end of summer, he was able to play on the varsity. Wow. So it was really amazing that uh, that, that happened and then that kind of set the foundation because I was right after him so when I came in and played with him Terry was already really well schooled of how to play the post um, he shot an inordinate amount of shots uh, which we thought was really torture at the time but it, but it gave me a guy to really aim at yeah. because he beat the tar to me you know until I could figure out what I was doing uh, as a matter of fact, I used to come home with like cuts of my lip was busted, my, you know, my eye was all swollen. My mom was, was thinking, out, you know, I was in a fight. Yeah. So I'm like, no, we're just playing. So um, that really set the uh, tone for my for my basketball career. But you know, luckily, you know, we had really good teams um, in high school. Started when I was a, a freshman. Uh, I think we maybe lost six games that year. Yeah. My junior year, uh, we lost no games. We were 30 and 0. Wow. And then, unfortunately, my senior year, everybody from that team, except for one other guy and myself, graduated. Yeah. So they brought the JV team up, and we lost five games when I was a senior, but. We didn't win the North California Championship, so that was like a Hoosier-esque yeah. story because we went down there, picked basically last uh, in Oakland, which was, come on, Elk Grove, California in Oakland. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. We were just happy to see our sign on the uh, Days Inn. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. Elk Grove <laughs> is, is here. <laughs> Elk Grove Thundering Herd, they're here. So the Thundering Herd, that was it, huh? Thundering Herd, it was it was it was a big deal. So uh, we were lucky, we were really blessed to be able to uh, to uh, to win the Northern California Championship. Yeah. Wow. And then did you have another as you went through college, another like I don't know if role model is the right word, but someone that you kind of aspired to be and someone that was beating you up that made you better, is that something that you kind of kept seeking out as you continued on your journey? Well, 
this is what we learn in high school. We learn how to play really hard, extraordinarily yeah. hard. Our, our high school coach was extraordinarily demanding. And we felt like nobody practiced more than we did. It couldn't have. We used to start our practices in sixth period of school. He had everybody sign up for gym. So, you know, you basically shoot for, you know, 50 minutes and it was hard. That's before yeah. practice, for before a three-hour practice. So, uh, Before a three-hour practice? Yeah, you could practice that. In three hours in high school a day. And then an hour before that shooting. That's a time. Yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah, so, That's a lot. So uh, we were prepared for pretty much anything. After uh, after that grueling uh, uh, practices, which were long, and it, but it was, you know, what you had to do if you were going to be any good. So, what you love about it that kept you going? Well, I I love to play. I didn't like to be tortured, but I love to play. Okay. And we're winning. Yeah. So you know, we're number one team when I was a junior. Number one team when you're a senior. You, as a coach, you can do a lot with that. Yeah. yeah. To justify the torture. So. <laughs> When I went to USF, I was fortunate because I, um, I, I played for a coach who basically, and this is what he told me one day, uh, is that, uh, look, I know you play really hard, but now I want you to play smart. Just play smart. And it was, it was a good mindset change to understand, you know, we've got some really good uh, teammates to play with. And I did. I was fortunate that came into school, I played with Marla Redman, who played in the league. I played with uh, James Hardy, who played yeah. uh, for New Orleans. I played with Woodford Boynes, who played in Jersey. Yeah. Um, so I played with some really, really good players. And so the level of play, really high, yeah. really, really high. And our seniors who were there, uh, guys like Jeff Randall, uh, Big six seven kid from uh, black kid from Oakland, Howard Smith, big burly kid who um, was there. Marlon Redmond was there, so they had three really good players. Mm -hmm. So we had three freshmen come in, so they beat us up pretty good after practice wow. every day. So when they say, when the coach says you're working hard, but you need to work smart, what what was like an example of something that you focused on instead? Was it like? You think about the next pass more, or you're you're not fouling as much, or like what's like a specific example of how you shift that? Well, I think the thing is, is that to be able to play with your teammates and use them and their skills. Yeah. And it's funny because, um, you know, that really stayed with me my whole career. So then now, you develop a kind of tandem with, especially the the centers or the forwards. Yeah. So I know that um, basically if, like, I'm driving to the basket, his guys come, I'm going to flip it up or give him a bounce pass. Yeah. And I know that if I rotate, he's got me. Yeah. So you're working with your teammates. And, and, and I'm talking to them. So defensively, you're talking. Screen coming. Um, you know, hit me, cut. So you're, you're playing together, and it's, it's a great understanding of – of, uh, of, of your teammates. And once you come to a real understanding with your teammates of what you do and, and what you don't do so well, you got a really good, solid team. Yeah. What was it like then? So so you go from a small town 
you know, near Sacramento, about two or three hours west to San Francisco, which is a, is a metropolitan area, but still relatively small. And then num- you're drafted number three in the draft by the New York Knicks. You get to the league, you're in you know, New York City. What was that transition like? New York was big. So I'm going to tell you is that I, I remember when I, my first cab ride into town, I was thinking, wow, this place is just a ton of buildings, and it's big. So it was really just impressive, just the size of it, the mass, the buildings, um, the walking down the street, the people, yeah. uh, and just initially just getting there. And then Central Park, wow. So that's what happens when you're there. It's like, wow, that's big. Wow, yeah. look at all these people. Wow, there's the park. And then, you know, once you're there and, you know, I was drafted by the Knicks and then it's like, okay, who's my coach? It's Red Holtzman. Wow, that's pretty impressive. And who's one of my teammates? Earl Monroe. Wow, that's pretty strong. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, that's pretty pretty impressive. And and just to get to know your teammates. So um, So you come on this team, uh, obviously a lot of expectations being the number three draft pick. Did the do the players greet you warmly off the bat? Do they are they kind of have their guards up because you're you're the rookie coming in and they like don't want you to show them up? Like what what's that situation like? No, I I, I was a rookie and coming in, and also I should mention that uh, another guy who was there who was a starting center was uh, Marvin Webster, okay. who came over from uh, Seattle. So my expectation was to come in and. You know, I only knew to play one way, so I was just going to come really hard, yep. practice really hard, and just stay focused. And in that first year, Marvin actually got sick. He got hepatitis. Yeah. So I played a ton. I was actually second in the league in minutes played. Wow. Uh, so by the All-Star break, I was pretty, uh, pretty fatigued. Yeah. But it was just a lot of really great lessons. And But you really spend, when you're first year in the league, our first game, official game, was against Philly. Okay. So who does Philly have? Uh, Daryl Dawkins. Yeah. Whoa, holy smokes, who's Daryl Dawkins? Dr. J. Your first game was against Dr. J. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? <laughs> There's Bobby Jones. It's like, wow, wow, wow. And Billy Cunningham was their coach. Wow, that was impressive. And even more impressive, during the game, I, uh, this is the first quarter, Doc drove, I blocked his shot. I was like, oh, my God, I blocked Doc's shot. <laughs> <laughs> Man, when you you play with some incredible players up through the Bulls years and before that, I mean, yeah, I'm just now thinking, you clearly played against Boston when, when Bird was there, right, during that era? Yeah, okay. Magic. Well, let's go back because Magic was the first pick in the draft. Yeah. And then David Greenwood and then myself. Now, Birdman came in that same year. Now, cleverly enough, the Boston Celtics drafted Birdman the year before. As a junior, yeah. Because mm-hmm. Bird, that was his graduating class. So, which was brilliant by them. Again, I don't know how, why anybody else wouldn't have drafted him, but they, I don't know. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, we came out the same year. So who who stands out to you? It's just like someone when you were playing against them, just the most ferocious, tough person to play against. Was it Bird? Was it Magic? Was it? Well, I didn't guard Bird or Magic, but 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 look, look who I did have to guard: 
Cream was in the league. Yeah. I had uh, Bob Lanier. Yeah. I had uh, Artis Gilmore. Um, we had some beast of a guys who were in the league. So every team had somebody. Even if you came out here and you play the Warriors, who was here? Uh, Clifford Ray was here. And his backup at that time, an angry Robert Parrish was on the bench. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah, it was funny because uh, in that in that season, Robert Parrish was the first guy to take a swing at me. Really? What? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, he was angry. He was mad because he was coming off the bench. <laughs> Were you trash talking him? No. no. I'll tell you exactly what happened, though, is that uh, he came in and he, uh, uh, the shot went up and I was going for the rebound and he elbowed me in the chest like really hard. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> so I was like, okay. So we went down the other end, the shot went up and I hit him really good in the chest. Hell yeah. Got him back and then we squared off and he took a swing at me <laughs> and then it was over. He missed you? Yeah, he was a mile away from me. Yeah. <laughs> but, oh uh, my God. But, but you gotta remember is that we had some really good players in the league at that time. Some good center, Jack Sicko was in the league. Dan Issel was in the league. Even in Phoenix, you had to go down and you had to guard Alvin Adams. Uh, I came in the league, Wes Unsel and Elvin Hayes, they were still in the league. Mm -hmm. So we had like a Hall of Fame players. Dave Collins was still in the league. And I got to tell you, that dude was a hard playing sucker. So we had, you know, every team had somebody who was really freaking good. And uh, and then of course you know you'd run into a guy like Moses Malone who was a freaking nightmare. Yeah. Nobody that's played the game is faster up or down off the ground than that sucker. So. No. Nobody. I remember one game they came to uh, New York and we played against them and we shut his ass down for some reason we were able to. So we were watching him for about a month. So he was like, I guess he was upset because it was like 30 and 15 like every night after that. Oh, yeah. wow, damn. <laughs> you set him up. Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> How did you, go ahead. No, I was, I was going to say, so, so then you landed um, after the Knicks. At some point you got to Chicago, right? So, I mean, everyone knows about those years with, Phil Jackson coaching, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, the whole crew. Like, I don't even know where to start asking about that because that's that's when those years, um, or a little bit after that, was when I was growing up and, and started to love basketball because some of uh, the Chicago Bulls years, actually. So I'd love to just hear about what was, what was the experience. For the first time in my career, I played nine years in New York. I took a vacation during the summertime. I went to Hawaii. So I get a phone call in Hawaii, right when I walk in the door, Volkswagen from Jerry Krause to come back to Chicago. You've been traded for Charles Oakley. I'm like, yeah. I said, well, when do you want me to come? He said, now. I said, I just walked in a room. He said, you got to come now. Wow. Leave my wife in Hawaii. She's not too tore up. Leave her there. Yeah, she's <laughs> 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 yeah, then... Uh, Head back to Chicago, and uh, uh, there was a little controversy with that because Oak was a popular player and was one of MJ's buddies. Yeah. 
So it wasn't like it was real popular when I got there, but after being in nine years in New York, um, nothing's going to bother you. You're used to the media at that point. Yeah, nothing, nothing. You can have your whole face on the back of the post, good or bad. So, any, you know, after that, nah, it's not going to bother you. So after I got into Chicago and met, you know, Jerry Krause, and my first coach there was Doug Collins. Mm-hmm. Okay, yep. And Doug I love. Doug's a great guy. Um, you know, he, he welcomed me. He was he was great. He said, Bill, you know, I'm going to let you do what you do. You know what you got to do to play, and I'm just going to leave you alone. Get better than that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so uh, we got along really well. And, but he knew. He knew I was going to play extraordinarily hard. And uh, uh, and just kind of just kind of try to blend in. It's just unfortunate that things didn't work out well with Doug for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. That still kind of remains a mystery. Yeah. So I'll just leave it alone. My dad still feels bad for Doug Collins. He thinks he got it raw into that deal. I mean, he, the team was right, right to peak, and then he leaves. You know. Yeah, yeah. But it was interesting that um, Phil took over. So, but let's think about this. What happened when Phil took over? Because when Jerry Krause was hired, he hired Jerry. This is Jerry Krause's first two hires. Whereas Alvin Mill, our strength and conditioning coach. Second hire, Tex Winter. Mm-hmm. So what does Phil do the first thing? He incorporates Al in our practices, and he puts in the triangle offense. Mm-hmm. So we're not, it's a little suspicious, but there it is right there. <laughs> so <you know. laughs> Okay. Uh, just to be part of the vision. So once that happened, we had an identity, at least offensively. And we had a guy, and... Phil was very fortunate because he not only had Tex Winner, who, you know, to mentor him offensively, but he had Johnny Bach there as well. And so and Johnny Bach was the defensive guy. Yeah. So he basically had two philosophies. He had, a, he had an offensive scheme and he had a defensive scheme. So he walked into a perfect storm and then he, then he had. I mean, I was the one of the older guys on the team, and I was what, like thirty-one or two. Yeah. Everybody else was young. MJ was young. It was Horace and Scotty's second year in the league. Wow. So everybody else was young. So it was a, it was a perfect time to uh, to establish, uh, you know, our offense and defensive philosophies, and. Uh, you know, let's face it, we had a pretty damn competitive team. Yeah, and I mean, there's so much talent there, and you mentioned the great coaching, all around offense, defense, and Phil just running the show together. Like, some of those teams are the, some of the best sports teams potentially ever assembled, at least from what, what people say. Like, what do you think are the reasons for that outside of just, like, you take talent aside, like, is it the competitive drive that everyone had was there a type of chemistry that Phil tried to create, or like what? What do you think really like put it together for everyone? I think that you need somebody who's going to allow, you know, because it's 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 interesting that there's some similarities, even though I don't really, 
you know, it's kind of a nightmare for the old guys to watch the NBA now, in particular with all the three-point shots. Yeah. Mm. But look, the NBA has always evolved. And since whatever it is, 1946 or 1948, we were playing, the game's changed. So, and it's going to continue to change. So this is what's going on right now. So with us, we really had our own system and our system was, you know, or the identity was this triangle offense. So what does it do? It allows you to share the ball. It allows you to be creative if you see an opportunity to do so. So it just gives you a philosophy of play. Not that you don't do other traditional state things, you still run, you still have post-ups, you still have wing and high screen roll. Yeah. You still have single double action, but you just run it out of one system, and it's not some guy standing up on the sideline barking out plays. I mean, we used to love that. Oh yeah, run that 33C. Oh, I know what that is. Yeah. So, <laughs> and so it's not. It wasn't traditional basketball, and I think that that's what made it, you know, fun. It made it special that. At that point in time, we were different. And anything that's different is really hard to guard. Yeah. So um, at that point in time, it was new. And also, look, we, we have, and this is interesting too, and I want you guys to notice this, especially when you watch ESPN tonight, <laughs> which is another, for the old guys, it's a bloody nightmare. Yeah. Because... There's over 400 guys in the league, and I would bet they don't talk about 10 of them on the highlights. But with us, we did. Mm-hmm. So it was everybody was important. Yeah. So then you have the clear understanding that our starting first group of starters are going to be pretty good, as is everybody's first starting group. Yeah. The second group that comes in, those guys – those guys were what really made us good. Mm-hmm. Because not only did they keep the lead, most cases they extended it. Yeah. yeah. And that's what good teams do. That's what the Warriors do. When their bench comes in, they keep the lead, they extend it. You know, if, if, if there's a good team, they have a good, not bench, they have a good second group of starters yeah. that come in there and, and hold it down. And that's what the Bulls are all about. So, even a guy like Jeff Bushler comes in. Bobby Hansen comes in against Portland. He hits like two threes. Uh, Stacey King, B.J. Armstrong, Scott Williams, Cliff Livingston. We couldn't have won without those guys. Mm-hmm. And the list goes on and on from our bench guys. We have, everybody's got stars, but our bench, always good. Mm-hmm. Every single year. So, and that's a credit to... You know, our leader, the guy that um, uh, I loved, who was a lot of controversy for a lot of people, with Jerry Krause. But he really put together that team. He and his staff with Clarence Gaines and Jimmy Stack. Mm -hmm. Those guys responsible for our team. So was it something, when you talk about that freedom to play offensively, do you credit that to Phil's? You know, like very open mentality. I've read his book several times. I really am just drawn to his the way he thinks about life and meditation and 
I understand he used to bring like smoke signals into the locker room. Is that just part of his aura, or is that uh, smoke signals? Like uh, like incense, incense. <laughs> smoke, signals. smoke signals, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, incense in the locker room. Did that really happen? No. No, what this what Phil would do. And his thinking is that he would, um, if he felt like, and he'd do this once a year, maybe twice, if there was a, a bad, something bad in the feeling, you know, he'd take some incense and walk around and like get the evil spirits out of the building. <laughs> something like that. But it's, but it's more of um, a psychological thing. Yeah. To where um, one year when we, um, you know, when we lost to the Pistons, we, like, wrote down, um, you know, like, on a piece of paper, um, you know, all the things that d didn't go well or we want to go well. And. So then we had this little canister, and we just threw it in there, all of us. So and this is the playoffs the year before you guys won it, right? When you lost yeah. the Pistons? Okay. Yeah, because that was a real mental thing. And look, um, every good team goes through that. It's like Boston went through that when they, they had to beat Philly. Detroit had to beat Boston, and we had to overcome the, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Detroit. So uh, we're just fortunate that we were able to hold hold ourselves together a lot longer to where most teams like Detroit, um, once they won their two championships, they started losing their key players, thinking they were going to get better. So they they actually picked up uh, Adrian Danley, and they lost Rick Mahorn. They weren't as good. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting the chemistry, they lost their chemistry and uh, uh, thinking that they're going to get better got worse. Well, you just said something I want to drill into. It's ironic because we just had a sports psychologist for the Seahawks on uh, a few weeks back. He talks a lot about that mentality and you talk about getting past the Pistons was more of a mental thing. So yeah. what do you think separates some of the great champions from folks who get just that close in terms of the, like how they think about the game mentally and oh you know people can't wait to lose they can't wait they, they and you hear it all the time I want you guys to listen uh, there's an injury uh, we're getting bad calls uh, it's not my night yeah uh, now you can't have those thoughts because what happens is that you when you give yourself an excuse most people will take it People can't wait to lose. They can't wait. They can't wait to lose. Wow. So, huh. you know, for me, uh, it's not a lot of people are able to overcome an avalanche once it starts coming. You've got to be able to stop and say, hey, look, no, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And it's a strength of will. It's a it's a strength of spirit, of, of, of spirit, because um, let's say uh, like this year, our Don's are going to go down and play Gonzaga this year. Mm -hmm. USF Don's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. Right. So why why would we think we're going to win? Why would we? So you've got to understand. For one thing, you can win. 
you can win. And most people will tell you if they're going to win or not. Yep. How are you guys going to do down there? Um, we'll give it our best. Uh, we'll give it our best effort. Yeah. Uh, uh, those guys are really good. That's uh, yeah. funny. I mean, it, I actually just last weekend watched the uh, – there's an HBO documentary on Joe Namath. And they were talking about when he, you know, he made that guarantee against the Baltimore Colts in like the whatever the third Super Bowl or whatever it was, and he won. It was just, like, I wasn't trying to be cocky. I just thought we were going to win. That's all it was. So it's just like he has had a belief that they were going to win. But I feel like that's pretty rare. As yeah. like many people be like, oh, I think we're going to win, but like, mm. you really in your deep soul, like, do that? you really know yeah. you're going to pull that upset off? Most people probably not. I mean, it's look, it's a hunger. <laughs> It's, it's, it's a big-time hunger to want to be number one. Only one team, one team can win. <coughs> and some of it has to do with talent. I mean, I've, I've guarded some guys who, like I remember I guarded Moses Malone one night. I was all over his ass. And mm-hmm. I mean all over him. I'm hitting him, kicking him. I don't care. Couldn't stop him. Yeah. So, but my best effort was there. So I was I was okay with that. But I'm just telling you that um, the mentality that you have to carry to win, there can't be a, an acceptance of a loss. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's more than Hell playing. Yeah. It's, like it's, it's personal. It's personal when you play. The guys that you play with, that when, it's, when you watch them, when it's personal, ooh, they're playing. Man, love that. And when you get two teams that actually believe they're going to win, going at one another, and that's a special thing. That's like when you guys played the Lakers and Magic, you know they thought they were going to win. Of course they did. And like, like, like deep in their soul, they didn't think they were going to lose at all. Uh, well, look, that's the thing, too, is that somewhere in there, you've lost before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I've been really fortunate because I, I've never been on a team that lost a, a championship series. So... But you watch, and you watch, like when teams win championships, and you watch guys coming off the floor, and you, you just watch them to see who they are. And uh, Some guys carry it strong. Some guys don't carry it at all. Mm-hmm. And gals too. Yeah. To where you see them after the game, and they're, you know, they're talking to their friends, or they're laughing. After a loss, no. Yeah, no. yeah, no, no. But it's 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 just who they are. But to me, the guys who carry it and it's personal. Like when we lost to the Detroit Pistons, um, that we lost to them. Like let's say on uh, on a Saturday, everybody took. And this was like almost summertime. Everybody was back in that gym a week later to start their workouts. No kidding. That's awesome. Even the they were just fired up. Wow. Yeah. Everybody. So it was like a week off, settled down. Yeah. And it wasn't like coaches said to come in. Everybody came in. Because it was like, okay, we're close. Yeah. There's nothing that I mean, I played college tennis, which is about seventy-five thousand pegs below the uh, 
the sports stature that you hit on the, in the NBA, but there was nothing that would that would piss me off more than when right after a loss, people would be joking around right after. Oh, it'd be like, I would be so mad. I'd just get up in their face, but like, would you not even care? Well, we used to have it's parties just... after like a big wrestling match in high school, and you know, every Saturday we'd have a big meet that morning. And if you knew if we lost, if I happened to lose that day, or if my brother lost that day, the party was over. Yeah, there was no party going on that night if that happened to happen. Right, you know. So, well, yeah. I mean, that's. But, but to me, that's that's when you know you have something special. Yeah. And and also, our guys are pretty good. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. no doubt. Um, well, you've been crazy gracious with your time. I want to do a couple of questions from you know, my my family. They're just some of the biggest Bulls fans in the world, and a couple from the audience. Yeah. And then we'll we'll let you go here. Sure. Sure. Tommy, yes. questions from the audience. What do you got? Yeah, so one I have, um, going back to the Bulls, um, you know, obviously the talent there is crazy. You know, Michael Jordan um, on the team, and I know that you guys had a bit of, you know, I don't know if I would say it's used the word feud, but a little bit of a history there. But if there was like one, maybe one story or one thought about MJ that like you think just epitomizes who he was as a player or as a teammate or as a competitor – um, I know there's a ton of stories around there, but anything that, that you share yeah. on that. Yeah, I can't share anything really, uh, you know, juicy. Yeah. Now, maybe later. <laughs> Off the air. But, uh, but, but I think the big thing about MJ is that what people should know is that this dude, look, he had uh, worldwide attention. Uh, we, we had tons of media every day. Uh, he had endorsements. That dude was never late for practice, not one time. He's always on time, always worked his ass off at practice, worked on his game, worked on his shots, and, you know, basketball was the number one priority. So um, that dude, whatever success he's had, he's he's earned. And also, he used to go uh, before practice because he had his own guy. Yeah. And and left. (laughs) So it was really important that, you know, the sport was really, really important. And, you know, he even incorporated Horace and Scotty along with that. And then when we got Ron Harper, who was another really freaking good player. Yeah. Uh, so give Jerry Krause again for that. Um, um, all four of those guys would go and uh, they would lift with uh, Tim Grover. Breakfast before. club, right? Yeah. 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 So... It was it was all about basketball. And yes, you, know, you talk about having that earlier you talked about the mentality of a winner and having that deep fire. Do you I mean have you seen anyone that even comes close to what Jordan had at that time, just that passion and desire to win? It, the stories you read about the guy just seem incredible about his competitiveness. Well, uh, I mean, you know, along with this competitiveness competitiveness is really extraordinarily talented. Yeah. So when I got there in 88, uh, you couldn't double him. He'd split the double and go in a dunk. Later on in his career, uh, you know, he'd avoid the double and pull up for a jump shot. So, you know, not only was he a great competitor, but smart because he, you know, changed his game. He couldn't, he couldn't do the things he used to do, so he understood that and became a better shooter, similar to Dr. J. Early in Doc's career, he'd drive to, you couldn't stop him. Wow. 
unstoppable. Mm-hmm. But later in his career, when guys started catching him, now he's shooting a jump shot. Mm-hmm. And became so a three-point shooter. He wasn't a three-point shooter when he started his career. Okay. So it's, it's, it's interesting. Okay. Well, another question from, this is actually from my older brother, is he wanted to know, he goes, just ask him, what was the locker room like? Was everyone tight? Was there, and this is like, you guys are, you've won your first title. You know, you've, you've maybe even beat Portland for your second. You guys are in the groove and you're feeling good. What was the locker room like on a daily basis? Were guys buddies? Was it just all business? Our locker room? Our yeah. locker room was pretty much, um, everybody has their own pregame schedule. I used to like to get there nice and early. Yeah. Uh, so I was uh, I was always early, maybe paranoid, who knows? Yeah. But uh, there, was, there was a group that was early and then there was a group that kind of came in. Uh, MJ, before every game, had to go in the crapper every single game so <laughs> sometimes he's sitting in there and is and he's like phil go ahead so phil's talking and he's <laughs> in the crapper probably probably the, the strangest uh, <laughs> thing that would happen was when we got dennis this is when i was coaching oh, it's Dennis would go in and take these marathon showers before before the game. And we're like, what is he doing in there? He's been in there for like 25 minutes. He's like, so, but the bizarre thing is not, you know, he took a shower before the game. Not that he always took one after the game, <laughs> which was kind of interesting, but. Uh, That's like the just the tip of the iceberg with him though. I mean, he's a, he's a crazy cat. Yeah, he's. He's that, but he, he was a good dude, though. Yeah. Really, really Is good that right? guy. Good yeah. guy, good teammate. Uh, I liked him. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, very, very good guy. But um, I'd say it's pretty normal because some guys like to, um, you know, we, we had chapel, so some guys went to chapel, and some guys would be reading, I don't know, the paper, and some guy had a book, or some guys... Uh, Everybody's kind of doing their own thing. Yeah, guy. Five-time NBA champ Bill Cartwright there for you, folks. Hope you enjoyed that one, and thank you for listening. If you would like to support the TR Talk podcast, which I've said this before, but I would highly recommend you do so, head on over to iTunes, type in TR Talk, give us a subscription, Give us a five-star review. Tell us you love us. Tell us you hate us. It's the holidays. You can treat that as your Christmas present. Unless you're my mom, I want some new pants. And you can also share this on your social media pages. On our next episode, we have Jed Collins, former NFL player, coming at you live. Until next time, out.